Welcome to the podcast, the destination for insightful discussions and interviews on the appreciation, conservation, and husbandry of reptiles with a focus on turtles and tortoises. Now, let's join our team of turtle nerds. Podcast. Podcast episode 71. We are here. We're so excited. Um, first, I feel like we need to start with a little bit of housekeeping because if you're a fan of the podcast, you're probably looking and saying, uh, who are all these people? Um, so even though you saw them in the lead in, Chris and Kevin are not here with us today. They're both indisposed, but yours truly, of course, is here. Uh, being the podcast Iron Man that I am, I feel like Cal Ripken Jr. here. Haven't missed, haven't missed a podcast yet. Um, helping me with hosting duties today is my lovely blushing bride, Shannon. <laughs> you have to call me that. Say hello, Shannon. My Hi. better half, my much better half. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. Welcome. Excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So as a lead, in we just want to say we we thought this was a cool opportunity. So Shannon and I have been working on. A new podcast, right? Tell them what it's called. Tell them. Turtly Devoted. Turtly Devoted. That touches on the uh, ridiculousness of a life dedicated to a certain uh, weird thing. I, I think of like the old marriage ref episodes where like the guy is obsessed with uh, raising large pumpkins, uh, but he pronounced them pumpkins. Remember that episode? I remember. Yeah, it was so good. It was so good. I'll never forget it. Um, so just, you know, having a ridiculous, um, thing that you're obsessed with and then the loved one who has to put up with it, but you're a biology major. It's not like, it's not that big of a stretch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I guess we could talk she's, about that. She's very talkative. That's why. We're no, I just, I was going to say, I thought it'd be funny to tie in that my initial major URI was fashion, uh, fashion merchandising. <laughs> right. I did in biology yes we you've come a long way from there now being married to a turtle nerd and mother of two Mm -hmm. macaroni and cheese and chicken nuggets it's you know the whole thing organic it's a whole life organic only the best yeah but the best Yeah. (laughs) yeah so that's what's going on here so we're really excited uh shannon and i to be together on a podcast she's been on as a guest before it's been a while um but we're here and uh be sure to check out our our podcast uh, totally devoted if you have a chance. We're very, we're really proud of it and excited about it. So um, please do. And um, our guest, so the other reason why Shannon is here is um, our guest, uh, Dr. Dave Hudson, we're really excited to have you with us. Hey, everybody. Um, yeah, welcome, welcome. This this is really cool. And, and there's a connection here. There's more connection and reason why Shannon would be here. Shannon set this up today. And um, you know what, Shannon, why don't you tell everyone why... <laughs> And how Dr. Hudson is our guest. Um, So our local, one of our local aquariums, Maritime Aquarium, um, I was following on Instagram and I happened to see this picture of a person on a boat that I was like, I think I know that person. Um, And it was Dr. Hudson. Uh, And so um, I couldn't think of like a non-weird way of contacting him because it had been a long time so i thought it'd be weird to like contact years yeah like i thought it'd be weird to like ask my friends to set it up and then like what if they drop the ball i just left him like a super lengthy awkward 
voicemail at work, like a normal person, uh, just saying, I don't know if you know me, but I know you. And do you want to be on this podcast? So that's like the worst reach out to ever have is like from a lady from (laughs) college who's like, I don't know if you remember me, but like, oh, my God. I have a kid in Tallahassee right now that I don't know about. No? It's not even the weirdest uh, voicemail <laughs> I've had. That you got since that, I've been at the, it, since I No, since I've been at the aquarium, I, I've had <laughs> a few really interesting conversations with some really interesting people. We'll about get into those about kids in Tallahassee or no, other? Nothing, okay. nothing of okay. that. Okay, good. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> So yeah, so is that it? Yeah, and then we just spoke and we were able to get it set up. And I was, my biggest concern was he was going to get on here and like look at me and be like, I have no idea who this person is. But luckily he's either lying or he does actually remember me from college. So We had like a 40 minute conversation too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) We FaceTimed last week. Not really. Not really. So, uh, Dr. Hudson, I'm going to call you Dave from now on. Does that sound okay? Okay, Dave's fine. You heard it here that I I struggle with that a little bit. I want to call everyone who's a doctor, Dr. Hudson or Dr. So-and-so. I struggle with this a little bit in in my profession uh, working in the veterinary field. I just want to call everyone Dr. Something, and usually I frustrate people who I know pretty well. But just, I don't know, you earned it, right? I earned it, but the, you know, there's there. I, I've had more casual conversations up north than I have. I worked in in Georgia for a while as a professor, and everybody, even within the department, was doctor this, doctor that, and it was kind of a strange experience. Um, so the different regions of the country do it differently. Um, I'm fluent in Spanish, so they actually have like a verb to say, "Is it okay if we guys go first names?" Um, so they, they actually have this like whole concept, uh, cause it's a really formal language. And so it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. Like, let's just like cut, the, cut the small talk and get straight to being friends. You know, so it's easy. That's cool. But then I would ignore it. That's just my yeah, style. That's, that's cool. Like, okay. Uh, Dr. Dave, I'm sorry. I, I'll call you Dr. Dave. Is that okay? That's fine. It's, it's yeah. fine. Whatever, whatever you're comfortable with. I'm making it awkward already. I apologize. Okay. Um, so we're we're excited. You know, we are animal nerds here on the podcast, and we have a following, um, a, a very uh, sizable following. Not really, but we love our following, and uh, they're they're animal nerds as well, and they enjoy um, talking and learning from animal nerds who are, who geek out even more than they do and at levels that they can't comprehend. So, um, and and we're a part of that too. So we're excited to talk to you about what you geek out about. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you're you're a crustacean man. I think that's really cool. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of fell into that. Um, I, I grew up in Michigan, um, like about a block and a half from Lake Michigan. So I, I really got into this from like the diving side of things, kind of the, you know, your your typical like, I want to be a marine biologist because I love sharks and um, all this other stuff. And I got to URI a thousand miles away <laughs> and 
Um, really still wanted to work with sharks and the department head recruited me into his lab, but he worked on lobsters. And uh, I worked in his lab for four years and um, really just like went like deep into that. And it was a, a great system to work with. And um, I, I really kind of thinking back to why I got into this, I actually had some influences on um, um, invasive species because growing up we had we had super mussels we had all these invasive species that were problems in the Great Lakes and I ended up working on invasive crustaceans which turned into eventually my PhD project uh, so it just kind of I just kept following it and um, my friends know that I we all I've caught a lot of flack over the years for working with crabs but they've brought me all over the world and. Um, it got, it got me a Fulbright and, you know, it's, it's been a really interesting system to work with. Great to answer some of like big climate change questions and it's stuff you can't do in some of the larger animals. So, um, it's really been like a, a really kind of wild ride down, down that river. Yeah. So it's worked out. I think that's so cool. And so interesting. Like, we talk all the time about like the, the, the sexy species, the megafauna, the stuff that brings people in. Um, and that's like an important gateway drug for somebody who's getting into it. And, but then as you learn more, you realize all this other stuff and opportunity that's there and things that haven't been studied yet. And that starts to become the thing that, that really excites you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, so that shift happened with when you were at URI, and yeah, sophomore year of college. Um, so I, I went to went to Spain um, to study Spanish um, to to get my minor, and like that first summer, and then went right into the lab that next fall, and it just it was like not like I didn't even look back, um, and I I goaded a lot of friends over the years to help me with it, um, diving in the middle of winter when you know. Classes are canceled. We're out there anyway. <laughs> um, I have a, we have a mutual friend, Shannon, who uh, helped me to literally count and measure so I could end up going to like a party junior year. Uh, Brian Frost actually helped me like go and measure crabs so I could like get it done so I can go out on a Saturday night. Because um, you know it, it it all falls to like the undergrad like workaholics that end up like that's like what research is is built on. So. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, uh, you're, you're muted. You're muted. I can hear you. Oh, um, I said, how big is the marine biology program at URI? <clears throat> I think it generally starts at about 120, uh, per, per class. And then, uh, you graduate about 20, 25. <laughs> so wow. there's a mass attrition out. Uh, but I think a lot of that's, you know, who finds that they like, you know, policy more, or they're really more into fisheries or they're more, um, into other areas in biology. And I think that's that's part of it. Like everybody kind of gets into marine biology because they think they're going to go swim with dolphins. And some do. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of funny. I kind of worked back to, to working with sharks because we actually have um, re acoustic receivers in the water right now that I'm supposed to dive on on Friday uh, that will be tracking sand tiger sharks next year. So oh, it's, wow. it's weird that it like, crabs kind of came back to working with sharks but hey you know, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a roundabout way of getting to it can you really cool. can you tell me more like what your role is at the aquarium 
Yeah, so I was I was brought on about four years ago to uh, direct the the research and conservation program. Um, aquariums have this really, as you guys know, because you've both been there, a really wide uh, collection of of animals that are generally pretty local. We're we're focused on Long Island Sound, so we have a lot of the the local animals. But it's not always like you're going to see a hake in like just out in the sound. Um, if you're fishing, you might catch one, but you know, we have, we end up having a bunch of these animals and we can study them in, in that environment and learn more about, about individual species that we wouldn't have that information otherwise. And so I was brought in to, to kind of look at what, what role the aquarium could take in research and in conservation in the immediate vicinity and how we could better connect to, to some of the regional efforts that are going on. Uh, with our local species, with species in need, um, some that are that are state listed, regionally listed, um, nationally listed, and internationally listed. So uh, we've I've really had a, a, a great time working through that and being able to, to connect better, connect our staff to that effort, connect people to our citizen science efforts, and it's it's a it's a department of one right now, but uh, we're hoping that it gets back to growth um, shortly. How has the aquarium done there? I mean, I know because I said like my daughters have been using the virtual programs that you guys are offering. Um, but how are and I know you're open now, but like, how are they doing given the circumstances of COVID and and everything? Well, um, we, we get to how things are going throughout the, the talk about um, the Safe Sea Turtle program. Um, I've certainly got a, a sense for what other aquariums are going through. We're lucky because Connecticut um, really took it seriously early on, and we were able to open our doors in June, even though it was a even though it was a depressed uh, percentage that we were able to take. Uh, our big months are the summer months, so June, July, August are like the meat of our season. So we were able to be open, if not for full capacity, we were able to generate some funds during that time to, to kind of keep things going. Uh, we've been kind of budgeted at like kind of a percentage of like our four year running average, which has helped us to, to just kind of have a, a good beat on things. Thank you to everyone who's come to see us. And thank you for those who uh, have gotten members and have donated. It's really helped us get going. Other zoos and aquariums need people's help. Um, those donations go right to the husbandry department and right to keeping those operations going. Like the, you know, the you mentioned the programs. Those programs have, to date, reached almost all 50 states um, and six countries uh, around the world. So it's been wow. um, uh, it's being used by people beyond our region, and you know it's it's free. There's like a, a suggest a suggested donation at the end of that. That's supporting directly supporting the the educators that are putting it together. Um, so you know we're we're trying to make sure that that the services we're providing because we're 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 a service organization. We got into this because we enjoy um, certainly servicing the the animals and the conservation of those animals, and get, we're passionate about the people and trying to connect people to the environment and how they can heck how they what little like what are the little things that they can do to make the environment better so we're really happy that we we are um we are certainly reaching a, a number of folks who are finding value in that so we've uh, we're, we're in pretty good shape right now but we're we're really hoping that we continue to uh, be able to stay open and and uh, keep keep revenue flowing in we're 
almost 100% foot traffic. So it's uh, it's something that we're really hoping to continue to keep. Yeah. Yeah, we had told, my, I had told we've been like pretty much housebound since March. And I've been telling my daughters everything's closed. And the first Maritime Aquarium one we did... <laughs> Right at the end, the lady's like, and we're open. And my daughter is like screaming from the other room. She's like, they're open. We can go. And I'm like, ah, yeah. we'll talk about that later. Like, yeah. we'll just keep doing our virtual classes for now. But um, it was, it's exciting to hear that you, like we had started and you guys weren't open. So it's nice to see that now everything's kind of back to normal for you guys. Yeah, well, we're, we're as normal as we can be. Uh, yeah. the, the animal husbandry department didn't skip a beat. They were there every day um, in two two separate teams to try to minimize the possibility of infection. Uh, they really did a, a phenomenal job. Our uh, our leadership really really took took that to heart, and um, and the the aquarist and and uh, keepers have been just. Uh, the backbone of that place. They really, really have done a, a phenomenal job in keeping keeping everything going. Awesome. Yeah. They're fun people to be around too. So. <laughs> yeah, they've been doing a really good job. They uh, they informed my daughter that they're sharks, Long Island Sound. So um, not so sure when I take her to Campo Beach, they'll likely whatever going back in the water. <laughs> but okay. it's okay. We'll be tagging them next year, so you'll know exactly where they are. Perfect. I'll just text you before we go to the Campo Beach, and I'll be like, can you just let me know if they're in this general you know, vicinity? The, the, these are the sharks that eat fish. They're, don't, they're not going to take you – know, you'd, have, you'd have to, like, stick your hand in their mouth to, to get bitten by one of these. Sure, can I just out. ask, yeah. did, did our daughter just discover Rodney Dangerfield or something for the Upstairs? first time? No, she's watching Despicable Me. I don't know what's oh, happening. It <laughs> sounds like a, a, a really good scene is going on. Okay, yeah, it sorry. It has been for the last 20 minutes. Sorry. <laughs> it's like she knows. It's like she subconsciously knows that we're live. This we're, we're attempting something live here that really is seldom done. Two parents of young kids on a podcast. You call it negligence. I call it an interesting <laughs> Uh, social science experiment, but we're going to see if we can make it through this um, without, yeah, all hell breaking loose. Good luck, guys. I just had to do that because if I'm listening to this podcast, I'm like, uh, why isn't there someone there to watch their kids? Well, because there's a pandemic and we don't let people in our house. That's, that's why. That's why. Yeah. And if you are the type of person who likes to have people over during a pandemic, no worries. This is just the way that we choose to do it. No problem. No, not passing any judgment. They're in your pod. That's right. We are here in our little pod. Exactly. Sorry. Sorry to uh, to go off the rails a little bit there, but I felt like I had to say something and make fun of you. Your mute button does work if you need to. I know you're in the middle of talking right there when she hit you with that. Me? Was that rude? Yeah. Was that? I was joking. But oh. seriously. I don't know what's mute and what's not mute. I was in the chat for a couple of minutes. I didn't know how to get out of it. So I'm just not going to touch anything. Oh, yeah. Don't go to the chat. It's okay. very tough to get out of the chat once you go in. It's like, okay. yeah, it's it's like what TV shows and movies t taught us uh, that um, quicksand would be like. Right. I'm glad you guys really get to just host this, so <laughs> I don't have to look at it at all. <laughs> yeah, right. You don't have to. You don't have to mess with that. Yeah, no worries. No pressure. Tell me what to do. So, so can I just go back? Can we go back to college for a minute? Because sure. Shannon asked a follow up question. 
I had so many things. Oh God. So no, 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 nothing bad yet. Okay. I'm sure there'll, I'm sure there'll be follow-ups that are inappropriate yeah. because it's me, but just for now, like this guy is measuring crabs so he can get to the party. And like, you knew him. Did you have any idea that this was happening? No. See, this but is I, what I would, this is what I would write my thesis do. on. You know, the right. things you do to try to, to just remember to have fun. It's work hard, play hard. It's yeah, something which is, that that's, biologists certainly do. <laughs> totally. I, I, I love that, though. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Did I just get dropped off? Oops. Okay, I'm still there. Everyone's still there? I thought I got dropped off of this. No, you're here. Okay, good. For some reason, everything just disappeared. Anyway, I'll just keep talking. Yeah, I, didn't, uh, I don't think I even knew that you were... Um... A marine biology major. I don't. I don't remember that at all. No. I'm not that you probably remember. I was a fashion merchandising major, but I'm just saying. I just. I don't remember. I don't remember that. But I probably assumed you were smart if you were hanging out with Eric. So. Eric is what? Yeah. So that guy is one of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my life. So. He keeps turtles, by the way. I know. You know that. I know. Yeah. I remember that the same turtles that he had in undergrad. Um, he still has. Yeah, and he has he he has map turtles. By the way, Steve is in the background listening. Just so you guys know, I didn't give you this bit of information before we started, but but the people viewing this and listening to this can't hear Steve, but only we can. Uh-huh. That's the big one that I didn't drop on you. So yeah, Steve is a map turtle lover, and um, uh, your uh, Dave and Shannon, your mutual friend Eric, has map turtles, which is just the coolest thing. Um, so. Dave, when he was uh, a sophomore in college and I was a freshman, do you, I don't know if you remember his dorm room, but he created a pulley system. He had like a baseball bat attached to like wires to get to his, so that he didn't have to get out of his bunk bed to open the door. So he'd pull on this metal baseball bat and it would open the door from his bunk. It's like our whole fraternity. Yeah. So (laughs) I... I was laying watching a movie on the floor one night and he went to go open the door and the metal baseball bat came down and just bashed me on the head. I'll that never. You. <laughs> that was you. <laughs> of course yeah. it did. Of course it did. Yeah. Because your head is a magnet for. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that, that, that group, I mean, if you look like Nick Sharika, like just he's working for Boom now. They just yeah. like, like supersonic jet that he's built, helping build. Like he was working, like fixing nuclear submarines. This is another one of our fraternity brothers. Um, I don't know how I got surrounded by a bunch of people like that, but they're, I mean, there's phenomenal people that were incredible influences. It was, yeah. it was great. You know, I was so, saying that to Anthony because, you know, like John Sugarman is an engineer. John Bedard is an engineer. Nick Sharika, they all lived on my floor my yeah. freshman year of college. And so I was a year behind them, but it just so happened that like I buddied up with them. And then that was how I kind of started to hang out with them. Did you know Greg Hughes? He, he ended up getting like a Gates scholarship to Cambridge to like go and develop interfaces for the blind. He's like... Oh, I don't think I remember him. He's like, uh, it was another group of that that was wow, it's just, so wild. It was like, I don't know, like my college roommate was trading Facebook stock before I went public and uh, wow. <laughs> sort of a microbrewery distributor with another one of our brothers. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's just a phenomenal group of people to be around and to look back. Um, 
I feel really fortunate to have been around that group of guys in college. Um, so this is, what, my- this is why I wanted to touch on this too. So <laughs> Shannon, question for you. So this is who you're hanging out with in college, this fraternity full of successful people, and you marry an art major from Rhode Island College. Yeah. I mean, I think we talked about it a couple nights ago in a bed. I definitely dropped the ball somewhere in college. <laughs> you did. You definitely did. I'm going to tell you, Dave, there were a lot of very intelligent people in your fraternity. And every single one that I had relations with. You don't have to say not, have relations. Was not in that group of people. So I really went like the opposite way. And I just sat in bed and I said to Anthony a couple nights ago, I'm like, I just want our daughters to know like how important it is to like date the like date the nerdy guy like it's gonna be it's gonna be worth it one day honestly though like how can you go wrong with doing doing something you love to do and like there's there's so many other things there's so many ways to make money in this country and if if you can't make it in this country doing something you love it's um you know it's it's really hard to do it outside the country. I, my, my wife's originally from Colombia and we lived there for a year. Um, and it's, you know, uh, a place that is really like growing tremendously, but like there, you know, when you've traveled to other places, you see the types of struggles people are under and, you know, the kind of things that, you know, you, you we get to do here. You don't have to do so. There are certain things you have to do like just to like, all right, I'm going to have to, you know, sell, fish or something and that's like how i'm gonna feed my like it's feeding your kids and like being able to have bandwidth um beyond just like the basic Mm -hmm. necessities allows people to just get into their hobbies and be able to to produce uh culture and that's how that's how culture is able to 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 grow and it's you know it's it's i think it's phenomenal that you guys get to you know we get we all got to do this like you know go into something we like to do and study that for for college and um it's partly our privilege too but um in a big way and um there's a there's a big work you know a lot of work to be done in that area um so i'm you know and i've done my my bit i'm going to continue doing my bit for that but it's i i truly think that we were very fortunate in this country to be able to do something we love to do don't sell yourself short come on (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But She's I do taking have... the pandemic tougher than others, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. All right. I have a question that's kind of like going to go off, but it's something that I just, I really, um, I want to know. Do you have any more of my college questions, Anthony? Anything else you want to? Uh, no, not, I'll let you know if any pop up though. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Um, one question that Anthony and I always talk about that I'm interested to see um, what you think is, there's always so much um, thought about taking care of sea turtles and you tend to see everything more about sea turtles and not so much about like at the um, aquarium, mm-hmm. how you guys have spotted and um, trying to think of other, like the box turtle and stuff the like that. Turtles, what do you yeah. think, what do you think the reason is there's more, done about sea turtles and there is talk about other stuff other species uh weirdly i've been thinking about this over the past few days too because i knew it was going to come up and like okay so i think part of it is 
it's you know it's been ingrained into our culture to some extent, right? So even if you go back to like the Greeks and the Romans, and there's this like it's in like frescoes and like, you know it, it's it's ingrained to have this um, this this look to the horizon um, mentality and this this exploration mentality that that humans have, and I think that you know you you associate this this exploring animal that kind of circumnavigates the globe um, with that to some extent. But I think as somebody who grew up on, on freshwater systems and as somebody who like grew up like catching soft shell turtles in little lakes in Michigan. And um, you know, I think that everybody can point to, to use another researcher's term, their water. Like you talked earlier as we were getting ready for this, like some pond like in Connecticut that you grew up um, and I can point to this beach on Lake Michigan as like that was what like connected me to water and that broader world. And I, I think that, you know, when we think about people that live inland and like that connection to to turtles in general, I think it's something it's you know, you, you still get that connection. And I think sea turtles are just you know, they're they're this this foreign alien animal that comes out of the water like once a year and digs this hole and you know it's it's kind of fascinating and um it's in some cases it's kind of a bounty too so when people are you know subsistence um cultures they they go and they this is like a time of year when they can go and and collect eggs and eat those eggs and in previous times when sea turtles weren't endangered um and all seven species are you know, it wasn't. Uh, it was something that was. It's a very you know cultural thing to to eat. And um, you think of the you know the the way Galapagos tortoises uh, were used as you know food for um, for mariners when they would stop over. They'd stock their their sailing ship full of of Galapagos tortoises, and you know they they stay alive forever. They're they're great. You know, so you have fresh meat uh, while you're while you're sailing around. So you know. Um, one of the courses that I would have hoped you had had a chance to take was uh, Rod Mather's History in the Sea course at, U at URI. It was phenomenal. Uh, but we got into some of those, like the, the cultural um, obsession with sea monsters. And I think it comes to, to that. There are some origin stories where, you know, the world is on the back of a sea turtle. So, you know, we, we think to, to that as um, kind of our, our obsession with, you know, the great beyond in a, in a way, I think. And, I certainly think that, that land turtles and um, tortoises and, and freshwater turtles connect us in that way too. Yeah. Testodines are cool. It's funny because, um, again, like to go back to the aquarium, the class, um, they showed all the different turtles and tortoises you guys have at the aquarium. And my daughter has 100 plus turtles that live in her basement. And all she kept talking about were the sea turtles. And like Anthony got home that night and she was like, oh my gosh, did you know this about sea turtles? And, sea and like, she just went on and on and on. And it's just like, it's so funny to me because it's like, oh my gosh, you have an entire basement full, but there's just something about the sea turtles that just, I don't know. It, it just right. seems they're just much more popular. However we can connect, right? So in a, in a lot of ways, I, we were talking a little bit about this earlier. Like I, I got connected to marine biology with sharks. Um, I read um, Shark Lady uh, about Dr. Eugenie Clark, who 
I had hoped to meet before she passed away. She passed away in her 90s. Um, got to meet her office neighbor who said she was just a thrill to keep up with. Um, in her 90s, like still publishing like a mad woman. And, um, you know, you, you read about the, some of these people that are just like inspiring and incredible human beings that go out and and just delve into it. Um, and it's, you know, it's our, it's the gateway drug to... to all the small stuff. I, I can sit next to a rock on a dive and just like geek out on the little shrimp and stuff that are just hanging out there. So, um, so I know like you had talked about, you kind of steered away from sharks and went towards lobsters, but like at any point, did you do a lot of your, like do you ever do research with sharks like outside of the U S or like bigger sharks? So actually, the the first project I've gotten to do with sharks is the one we currently have. Wow! Um, so all of this time, and you know, it took took coming to the Maritime Aquarium to to start to work with sharks, and um, you know, it's it's being able to be reductionist and being able to go down into like the gill of like an individual crab and like what that gill does, and then being able to kind of bring it back to being a generalist. And I think that it's port- important to be a general naturalist and generally interested in the natural world to be able to then look at how your program can impact the instance of that species. So um, shortly, like the Connecticut deep when I, when I called them up and asked kind of what, okay, we're looking at trying to, to do more. It seems like there's, you know, this data gap that exists for Western Long Island sound People aren't really working on this. What what should we be doing to kind of help with this? Um, the New York Aquarium and, and WCS does a lot of tagging. They have a they have an acoustic network out in on Long Island on in Great South Bay, and they've done a lot of really incredible work there. New England Aquarium um, and folks in in Massachusetts and Rhode Island have done quite a bit on you know sand tigers and and kind of what they're doing. Um, sand tigers are the species you see at the aquarium, by the way, except for one lemon shark. Um, but they, that's a, that's a species. that's a local species. It's, um, it's doing okay here, but we have no idea how large sharks are using Long Island sound. Uh, we know they're, they're there. We know we get fishing, you know, you know they, they, they pull them up on Premfield reef uh, in Fairfield from time to time. Um, so we know that we have records for them, but we don't know how they're passing, how they're traversing the sound, how they use this as a highway. And as the sound improves, what else is coming through? So we had we had humpback whale come through on Friday, um, which was seen in old Lyme. And, you know, it has, we haven't seen a humpback whale since, you know, like 2017. So feeding on the massive schools of bunker that are coming through. So the whole ecosystem is connected and if the food's there, the rest of it will be there. So I've gotten this chance to kind of hopefully connect our program and Long Island Sound to the regional questions that are going on. How are they moving from Massachusetts down to North Carolina? And how can we start to, to connect the, the researchers together? And we're just, we're participating. We're, we're helping to lead this local effort um, and just trying to, to do our part for it. So long-winded answer. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's been really cool to be able to come back to that and look at it from the data gap, you know, like what is the data gap and is it a data gap that we can get after or that we can connect two different groups together or be the facilitator to that. So, 
Um, we, like an aquarium is pretty non-threatening, so we could be uh, really empowering of other groups and bring it, bring you know skeptical groups together. Um, and it's been a it's been a really incredible way to to do conservation and to bring bring research teams together. I love that collaboration is so important, and, and it's really just imperative that you could figure out a way to get different sides together to work together. I see so many times like animal people get really fiery and and rabid, pun intended, about whatever animal group it is that they stand oh, for or care about actually or whatever. Rabid, yeah. Right. Not actually rabid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, pun intended figuratively. Um, you know, and and you'll have all these groups and they'll disagree on certain points that are really important to them, but that, you know, the the overarching or, or larger uh, population has no idea that that's even a thing and they're disagreeing about it. And now you have all these separate groups that instead of being unified and working to actually make larger change, they're kind of stuck with a smaller uh, capacity to actually, you know to actually mm -hmm. make something happen. Rhinos in Africa. Right. Okay. Yeah. Tell Africa, me more. I'm a turtle guy. Rhinos. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a marine scientist too, but with rhinos in Africa, you have a lot <laughs> of small organizations, like, like organizations that kind of like, you know, this is our project. Um, mm -hmm. and they're like, these are our dollars. These are our donors. And rather than working together, um, to, to get something done, Sure. In, a, in a place that can be very difficult to get things done um, and, you know, having some distributed network, um, you know, that we've, we've kind of been at, at loggerheads instead. And I think that they've, the, the conservation community has started to learn from this and um, started to work together far more. I've, I've, you know, going from like academic science to this area over the last four years, I've seen a lot of collaboration and um not a whole lot of like the the kind of nitpicky argument stuff and it's been really heartening to see that people work is, together quite a bit is this the first uh institution that you've worked for um no i, I worked as a, a assistant professor down in atlanta um building a small program so we we were essentially a, a school that was mostly focused on uh, two-year programs and then i was brought in to help with uh getting the four-year programs off off the ground um, so I was bringing kids that had never been out of Atlanta to like Bogota, Colombia to do freshwater crab stuff um, in their summers. It was absolutely incredible. And we were stomping around in Atlanta streams doing crayfish work with, you know, U.S. Fish and Wildlife. And I look at where those students are now. They're with, you know, West Atlanta Water Alliance. And, um, you know, one went to, to you know, went, went to grad school at North, Northwestern and, you know the the group that the just being able to provide those experiences and those connections and and entrance that network with passionate people, um and and you know and first in their families to go to college. I mean it, mm. it makes a huge difference. Um just like here's how this nuts and bolts things works. Uh, go to the conference, meet the people. It still ends up being about people. That's something that I didn't that mm -hmm. I didn't get until after I graduated URI, <laughs> and I should have been going to like the Benthic Ecology meeting as an undergrad and um, meeting researchers to get to that next step, and starting to connect into that community a little bit more. Um, I would like to see more people without PhDs um, be empowered to to collaborate 
with with people with PhDs and with master's degrees to to bring their knowledge to it. You know, the the husbandry community um, in the zoo and aquarium community is incredible. Um, they have a ton of knowledge, and it doesn't often get into the published literature. Um, I know the aquarists have um, what was it this uh, this this reviewed journal. Uh, so the it's Drum and Croaker. Uh, it's available once a year, uh, but you just it's a you know they write up something about how they they bred some particular animal, and it gets it gets edited and put into this journal that goes out. And that even though it's great literature, should be encouraged because it's really important for folks to to share their knowledge, and for there to be less of a guild. And um, I hope I I don't you know I, I'm not you know, I'm part of the guild in the PhD, but, um, but I think it's really important to, for people to, to know that there's, there's value and that you have, you know, you should be encouraged to publish and, um, peer review is scary, <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it should be something that, that people should be encouraged to do. It's interesting that you talk about that kind of like the, the bureaucratic, like the, the guild that you, but I think like self-awareness, right. And, and acknowledging that is yeah. the first step. Right. But that's why you're, that's why you're so cool. And that's why you're having this conversation with us, right. You could be doing anything you work hard you're, and you're spending your night off with us and you've made arrangements to be here with us on our podcast, which is so cool. Um, I think, that's you awesome. know, as people who have roots in the private sector, I mean, now we have a, a conservation organization of our own, um, you know, our, our roots are in, in the, the private sector. And, um, that's something that means a lot to us. Um, because, you know, in our experiences, not everyone is willing to, to step across that line and work with someone else. And I get it. Like it's, it's not always an easy job and you get burned by somebody once or twice and it kind of changes your perception and everything. But, um, it's difficult to collaborate with more people. It's difficult to trust people until they give you, they give you a reason not to all of that is, is difficult and it takes a lot of work and time and energy and that sort of thing. But I think it's the right, (laughs) yeah, right. Right. Patience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's been areas where we would have had to earn that trust and, and it's been very rewarding for us, but there's nothing better than, uh, being able to collaborate with people who have a different, a different skill set, a different knowledge base and a different way of doing things. I think that's awesome. So hearing you say that is something that's just absolutely encouraging. And it was kind of the reason why I was asking you if you had worked at an institution before what I meant by that question. And I didn't say it right. Was if you had worked at like a zoological institution before, like an AZA institution, that sort of thing. No, volunteered at the Georgia aquarium, but um, I didn't get beyond enough bandwidth to be a greeter. (laughs) (laughs) uh, But again, I think, you know, if I can't uh, be a greeter and make people excited about being there, then you know, I, I shouldn't just be at a lab bench necessarily. I think that that's, a, that's an important piece to feel to bring that expertise even to something like that. Um, but that's how that, that was the first place I, I volunteered. And um, then, you know, this, this position opened and uh, it's been an absolute blast. That's awesome. And it's to me. So so it's cool because we love the Maritime Aquarium and we love the people who we bump into there who are volunteers, uh, the people who we've met who work there, the way that it's set up, the collection, 
all of that sort of stuff, we just really enjoy it. And it's kind of like our, there are two aquariums in Connecticut. We, Shannon and I, our family, we far prefer the Maritime over uh, the other Connecticut aquarium. And that's nothing against them. We're in them. different markets. We're in different yeah, markets. Right, we totally. I mean, we can uh, kind of take the trip to either, which I don't know how much farther Mystic is. It's a little bit further, but but I, from us, but I, I we just enjoy the Maritime and that's nothing against Mystic. We just enjoy it. But to hear your experience and uh, to hear you talk about collaboration and your excitement when you talk about citizen science, like that's awesome. And I don't know that that all AZA institutions are like that. And it's just something that from an outsider's perspective seems really cool and refreshing. Again, I'm not trying to say anything negative about anyone, but I, I wonder if our love for the maritime has to do with the way it's run or um you know people like you who are there who are excited about things like citizen science and um connecting with people and and all the rest of it well thank you and thank you for oh shannon's uh muted again you're muted again <laughs> yes i'm the worst you're, you're it's only been twice it's okay you get three um, strikes. I was going to ask about, um, I don't know anything about this, and I did try to Google it, but can you tell us about your recent induction to the Explorers Club? Because I'm totally intrigued by this. So um, I, uh, so I had a, a couple of really great experiences. We have uh, the son of Jim Fowler, who you may know from one of the first nature shows, um, Mark Fowler, who's actually on our research and conservation committee for the aquarium. And he is spent, he's up at, he's a nature director for Grace Farms Foundation up in New Canaan. Um, he's a local guy uh, between here and Georgia. So we both kind of weirdly have Connecticut and Georgia um, connections. And we, you know, we've, we've worked together a lot over the last couple of years. He's a, he's a nature photographer and videographer and um, you know, kind of cajoled me to apply um, met uh, Galen Rosenwax, who's another uh, nature photographer, marine scientist. Um, she's out on, on Long Island in, in Montauk. And, you know, two really passionate people who sponsored me in. And, you know, the, so the Explorers Club goes back um, over 100 years. And it's a, it's a really interesting group of people uh, because it's people who want to advance science and, you know, that, that passion for exploration. And um, so you have everything from astronauts to historians to, you know, people who are just generally really interested in that stuff, um, who are, are members, uh, friends, uh, and fellows. So um, I was inducted as a national fellow this year. It's uh, just an, it's an amazing honor to, to be um, a part of that, uh, just an amazing group of people. Um, and I'm really excited to, to be involved with more of their events once things calm down again and we get to actually go to the physical location in New York and, um, uh, they, they sponsor Oceans Week every year, um, and have events, uh, with all the folks who are visiting the UN, um, they pop over to, to the Explorers Club and give talks and other just really amazing, um, you know, it's a group of my heroes, honestly, um, and it's just an incredible people group of people to be surrounded by. That's so cool. Yeah. How does your wife? <laughs> she must be some sort of saint. So, like, how? Like, 
she's like beatified um, already. <laughs> so, like, how does she deal with all the different things that you're involved in? Like, how does she tie into it? So, tell me. I mean, I guess you guys are tied together with the Upwell Coffee, but like, how else yeah. does it kind of tie in? that she's involved does she enjoy it does she not so i kind of have to give the, the full the full story i guess um so we're gonna j just follow along with me here so we um we met at a department uh halloween party in grad school and uh we're in the physiology department uconn together and she was originally looking at going into medicine um which i was like yes sweet um <laughs> But I knew that we would have, you know, a very difficult life, me being an academic and her being a medical doctor, if that was the way we decided to go. And, but we've both been always very flexible with kind of the the route we wanted to do and just, you know, wanted to, you know, we've always been very focused on on each other first. And honestly, like people talk about love at first sight and this is totally cheesy, uh, but it's, it was love at first sight. Uh, we have a ton in common. Um you know, I, I, I threw down every card I had to, you know, get a first date with her, um, danced salsa, spoke to her in Spanish, the, the like, and uh, she agreed to go on a first date with me. Yeah. Um, ordered crab cakes and it was all over. So, you know, she, you know, she, she kind of like had it like half eaten and was like, wait, you work on crabs? <laughs> it's like, keep eating them. They're delicious. Blue crabs. There's a crab that deserves to be eaten. They're super mean and they're delicious. So if there's if there's not joy in in eating blue crabs, I don't know what there what there is. I'm just picturing um, like a first date. So you want to tell her all about the crab, right? Like like interesting facts. Like four hours of like just every like everything out of the sun, and it was like we'd known each other for twenty years. So that's really cool. That's so, really cool. She and I, like, uh, I ended up getting um, a Fulbright to Columbia to work on, like, th there are freshwater crabs at 10,000 feet above sea level, <laughs> um, which is, they, they kind of fulfill the, like, crayfish niche that we have here. Um, so you don't find crayfish except invasive ones in South America. And so I was like, well, honey, like, she's originally from there. Um, I was like, well, what do you think about, like, should, what do you think about going back for a year? And we'll just, like, figure this out and have a, you know, I'll get to know your country. Um and I've been collaborating with people there for like ever since, so over almost 10 years. And um, she ended up getting hooked into doing marketing and digital marketing when we were down there working for a Colombian flower exporter. Most of our flowers actually come from Colombia in the United States. So it's, uh, she ended up working for this like drop, drop ship wedding flowers thing where like they'd show up on a Thursday and you'd open them and they'd be perfect for Sunday. Um, it's just kind of this wacky thing. Um, but absolutely loved it and never looked back. So she's still, she has her own like social media agency and um, that allows her to work from anywhere in the world. So um, when I go and do field work, she and the kids come down and like go and visit family and um, you know, the, everybody I work with down there, at least in Colombia, like brings their kids to the lab and stuff. So it's, you know, like you've got like six or eight year olds, like running around, like feeding, um, feeding sharks and stuff or like selling tickets. <laughs> and it's like, it's kind of a, it's kind of a wild place to, to, to grow up. Um, you know, and it's, it's surreal because, um, we were supposed to do some coral work in 
in Oceanario in, in the national park this year. And my eldest, my six-year-old was supposed to come out there and just like crash and do coral work with me for like three cool. weeks. So, uh, but he's, he's good. He's, he's in the lab. He's, um, he helps when he can and, you know, he doesn't deal with any chemical stuff, but he's, you know, he's probably going to be an engineer. Or... I was going to say, do the kids like, do they like stuff? They do. I think my middle one's the, the most animal centric. Um, yeah. I kind of think the eldest is going to be like an engineer or he's going to be a finance bro. Um, <laughs> it's going to go right to the dark side, but, um, but you know, the, and the, 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 the 19, 20 month old, almost 20 month old is, is, um, the jury's out. So yeah, understandable. So tell, tell me more about Upwell coffee. Cause that's something that you and your wife have collaborated so on. We have right? this, like, you know, we have our like mugs and everything. So, um, so we, you know, when we were back in Atlanta, uh, one of the things that as a, you know, I was teaching five classes a semester. Oh my um, it's like normal, like normal professors at like a teaching institution. So you went, Anthony, you went to Rick, um, your professors probably had a three, three load. We had a five, five load. Um, so you just don't end up having a lot of time to do anything, but teach and like try to be like a good guide for your students and like your 300 advisees and the rest. Um, so you know, the time to write grants um, and I struggle with this even now, like the, you know, just the amount of time to delve deeply into the literature and like find all the things that you need to do to uh, make something that's really compelling is, is, is difficult to, to carve out of a day. So we started to move the ball along on this, like this coffee company idea that would kind of, kind of the, the concept of like a dollar at a time, you, you, you build this sustainable funding model for doing field research, doing lab research, being able to fund students to go to like meetings. And um, it kind of reached a pinnacle when I reconnected with um, a buddy of mine from elementary school, Sal Sanchez uh, from Michigan. And he'd been in the coffee business for 15 years. We um, went back and forth and got this thing off the, off the ground. So the Upwell basically gives a dollar per bag of coffee um, to one of five organizations. So the Maritime Aquarium, we actually match it um, an extra dollar. Um, they, I work there, right? So they gotta get that. Um, the the Oceanic Society gets gets a dollar for their SWAT grants that go directly to sea turtles um, and sea turtle conservation. In, on the ground, so they did give small grants of like five hundred or a thousand dollars, and that we know, like as a field biologist, like a thousand dollars, like that gets my team on the ground, and like all the stuff, all the all the worldly gigs we need to do the work, right? So you don't need a ton of money to make a huge difference. Um, we're we're locally, we we also give if you guys know of of Earthplace, they they house Harbor Watch, uh, which which basically allows us to know that we are. Um, you know, kicking along on on safe places to swim. So they they're they're the ones that are out there, uh, you know, sampling water and making sure that it's safe. Um, they do an incredible job. We work. We also work with the Amphibian Foundation, um, which also has a Yukon connection. I went to grad school with their research director. He um, put a, a critter cam on a uh, one of, like the largest. Um, alligator snapping turtles in the state 
And, you know, so there's some critter cam footage of of him going out with kids from Hartford and swimming swimming around. And um, so Tobias Landberg uh, was a good friend. And, you know, he was, you know, we we reconnected and, and I thought that it was a really amazing uh, bit that we could could help support them and their their bridge program, and um, you know beyond that we've we've also let's say Maritime Aquarium, Harbor Watch, the, the Oceanic Society, uh, the Amphibian Foundation, and what's our fifth one? Um, so sea turtles. I'm I'm drawing a blank here. Hold on. Um, I think that? it was the Turtle Room. Oh, the turtle- <laughs> Turtle Room needs to come on board. Um, <laughs> Just saying. It's all about people connections. I know. Anthony, uh, you did the Critter Cam too, didn't you? I did, yeah. I was going to say, actually, it's funny. Every time I go, so so I got to go and volunteer with that same group that Tobias worked with. And um, every time I could just hear in the back of, I could just hear, if I close my eyes, I could hear Chris Lugenbuehl telling me, you got to hook up with my friend Tobias. You got to hook up with Tobias. He's amazing. He's amazing. And I've heard it from several different people, but I, I get to go and be the snapping turtle handler, which is the coolest thing. I remind all my all my vet techs at uh, at work about that because I'm like scared of the dogs that they just hold and restrain with no problem. But I'm like kind of hesitant. Like if this was a snapping turtle. Does he, be, would so when he had a trimmer beard, did he ever remind you of Brett Favre? Tobias? Yeah. Now I don't know Tobias. Oh, you don't know don't. him? No. Oh my gosh. No. But if he's if he if he's yeah. Brett Favre like, I got to make sure I keep my wife away from him. <laughs> Tell you what, he's a wonderful man. Oh, um, so I was Brett talking Favre about corals. Talking about corals before. Our our fifth one is a Project Sea Core. They do uh, sexual propagation of corals. They actually breed corals. Um, so normally you'd fragment corals and like grow them apart. Uh, those are technically the same individuals. So what Secor did was they took the coral spawn and found a way to breed them. Um, we used their technique last year to make 120,000 larvae, um, and we were hoping to get to a million this year. So they are an absolutely incredible organization that's been driving that technology forward uh, quite a bit too. So Secor, so cool. I'm just like so jealous of your life. I feel so depressed right now. I'm just like, what? We run on volunteers. This, like, <laughs> we are so thankful for our volunteers. And if any of your listeners are divers, we're always looking for volunteer divers for our dive oh. team too. Anthony, do not get any ideas. You're not adding anything else to your plate. Don't I'm even talking think about you. You, could, you can go and help Coral have sex and <laughs> do your thing. And you did. Okay. Oh, I I, I, I'm so afraid to ask this question, Dave. I don't even know why I'm asking. I'm going to ask it anyway, though. Um, there was a volunteer at the aquarium by, I don't know if they like moved them around, but he one day was by the um, seals. Do you know what I'm saying, Anthony? Do you remember? Know, they do know everybody's trained, everybody's cross-trained and we have some long he, he was like a volunteer for like a really long time. The guy had to have been like in his 80s, but he was, Anthony, you had like such a long conversation with him. Do you know who I'm talking about, Anthony? He was like, don't ask que- don't ask questions you don't want the answer to. We're very fond of him, and I just want to. I, I, you don't want nervous. the answer. I just, just, I'm just people with us for like 30 years. Um, it's a really dedicated 
volunteer base. Oh, um, the guy was so nice. He was so helpful and like knowledgeable. And I always think of him every time we go there. Hopefully he's still there. I hope so too. Yeah. We have, we have, like a lot of our older volunteers have decided to stay away for obvious reasons right, right now. Um, so we are looking for more volunteers. Uh, we're doing virtual trainings and it's, you know, it's a it's a really amazing way to to give back and and give that passion back. Everybody's really really passionate about animals, um, and and honestly, we if we without our volunteers, we can't open our touch tanks. And as parents of small children, we know that's a really important part of <laughs> of visiting the aquarium. So, except for our so, daughters who don't like yucky stuff, so you don't have to worry about. My my kids are all elbows elbows deep in the jellies tank, and like it's it's incredible. Mm. That's cool. Now, do we get, do we figure out, okay, Upwell Coffee, do we say where people can go to check it out or where to go yeah, to buy it? Upwell, yeah, upwellcoffee.com. Um, you can, you can do a couple of things. So one, you can either choose the, so we're, we are looking to do subscriptions. We have a subscription base. You get a dollar off per bag. Um, and the, we still give the dollar or in the case of the aquarium, $2 um, to per month to, uh, per bag to that your your choice of organization. If you choose choose for me, um, it go it kind of gets divvied up uh, amongst those five organizations. So we we you know, upwellcoffee.com and um, please help support all these really amazing organizations that are struggling during during the pandemic. Um, so we're hoping to provide long term. We really want to provide like a, a monthly. Uh, divi- dividend to them that they they know is coming every month. Um, so we're we're really hoping that people sign up for that subscription. We certainly do the one time onlys um, as well, but that's a that's a big a big deal for for um, all those folks that are are uh, working with us as organizations. There, and check them out. They're amazing organizations. That's awesome. It's really cool. And and there's obviously links to all of them on the Upwell Coffee. Yes. Uh, Yes. Okay, well. so check our check our partners section. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. So, um, talk to us a little bit about the work with uh, Diamondback Terrapins and what you're trying to get off the ground. Right. Just you know, since it's a turtle podcast and we have a lot it of Diamondback podcast. Terrapins, you know, we talk about like well, sea turtles are are a lot more interesting and people seem to be interested in them. Diamondbacks are like. The yeah, they're they're like the I don't know, they're very popular gateway for for turtle nerds too. Because when you first see that those exist, you're like, well, what is this Dalmatian turtle, and what's that story? They're very beautiful, (laughs) obviously very striking. They're they're one of the most beautiful turtles. Um, and the the variation designs you see on their on their shells is just um incredible and and we have those you know those all those subspecies down into the gulf and it's just a and it's incredible um so one they can deal with salt water which um to me as a as a physiologist who deals with like salt stress um i immediately nerded out on just their ability to um like, tolerate salt and you know, one of the things that, that was prevalent, like when I first came to the aquarium was I would get calls that I saw a sea turtle and I'd get a picture and it's like, that's a diamondback terrapin. Um, so right away, I'm like, okay, we probably are mixing some things up here. And we do, as, a, as an aside, we have sea turtles in the sound. We had four 
uh, that that were struck and killed by boats this year. Um, mm. So we do absolutely have sea turtles, um, especially in the summertime. Uh, New England Aquarium does you know all the cold stunning stuff. Uh, we do absolutely have sea turtles, uh, but we don't know. The state um, is really interested in knowing more about how they're doing in Long Island Sound. So it is it is a species of special concern for Connecticut. Um, the different states kind of manage them differently, you know, but they're not technically um, listed species at the federal level or at the IUCN level at this point. So, and they're and because of the subspecies, they're kind of managed all all differently. So it's the same problem you kind of have with, you know, distinct populations of turtles and sea turtles in general. You know, we've got these like regional management units that they're trying to do. And um, the Oceanic Society has been really involved with that. But like, you know, for the locals, you know, it became prevalent. Like I got a call from some folks in Greenwich that were like up in arms about some development that was happening. And they're like, but Terrapin's nest there. Like they don't have the data. Mm -hmm. um, so if there are not data, um, we can't do anything about it. So uh, it became apparent that we needed to do something. So we contacted Deep um, and, you know, they knew that Connecticut DOT was really interested in, in this. Speaking of gateway projects, you know, starting to work with roadkill and think about like, okay, let's start with terrapin crossings um, because that's a problem. And we don't really have a firm grasp on exactly where that's happening. We have a good idea, um, you know, adjacent to certain marshes in the state. Um, you know, we've got a pretty, you know, we, we know that they're there. Uh, but we also don't want to draw attention to where they're nesting for obvious reasons. And, you know, we, we, we want, but we want to get a feel for kind of where there are some areas we need to, you know, have some, some engineering um, constraints and some engineering um, changes to how we're managing roads and, and getting terrapins across that road. Right. So uh, that became a project that we, we kind of pushed through, we had a pilot um, in 2019 for this Terrapin Trackers project uh, with, DO, with Connecticut Deep. Uh, West, Western Connecticut State University got involved uh, for some of their master's students to, to help with some of the, the, the mapping. And, you know, we've, we've really, we were hoping to kind of go full bore this year uh, with, with being able to have you as an individual adopt like a quarter mile stretch. And we're hoping to get, you know, so we had... 16 grad students this year from Westcon be able to do some of that. Um, but we're hoping to have that, that get, you know, up and running on, on full steam this next year uh, to have throughout nesting season and throughout the season when terrapins would be crossing roads um, to have some monitoring. And so please stay tuned for that. We're really hopeful that that can, can be something that we can do to, to get the, the impetus started to get a little bit of steam so we can start to get after some, some larger data sets like nesting, um, you know, start to think about, you know, what, what the impact is of um, dead terrapins on the side of the road on the population. So, you know, obviously if you have a gravid female, that's not good. Um, so, you know, we're thinking about how we can, can manage these, this population, you know, we start to have more information that allows the managers to then um, do what they do best. So, yeah. So just so everyone knows, too, uh, when uh, Dr. Hudson is talking, sorry, Dave, is talking about um, DEEP, Connecticut DEEP, that's the de 
Department of um, and Energy and Environmental Energy, Protection. Right. Used to be just Department of Environmental Protection, just DEP, right. now DEEP. Um, so that's like in New Jersey, uh, Fish and Wildlife. Oh, right. It's the state also that's um, what it's called in Florida as well. In Pennsylvania, it's Fish and Boat. So every state has yeah. a different governing body that oversees uh, wildlife and, and animal-related things. So, yeah. um, Rhode Island was DEM. We have the Rhode Island connection here, so we got to talk about you know Department of Environmental Management for for Rhode Island. <laughs> is that what Rhode Island is? I didn't even realize yeah. that. Dem. Yeah. Dem. Oh, that's yeah. That's a hot button subject with uh, election day tomorrow. Those Dems in Rhode Island won't let me keep any animals. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> off the rails there. Um, <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. It was a joke. Give me a break. Uh, well, so, well, <laughs> so. um, Dave, what are you, what are you hopeful for, like in the next couple of years in regards to? I mean, I know you just talked about that, but like, what else are you hopeful for for um, wildlife? protection right um well a, a lot of it's you know i think a, a big piece of it is getting people engaged i think you know i've we talked a lot about citizen science mm -hmm. here we've we've been tagging horseshoe crabs for like 16 years or something uh with with sacred heart and with project Hor with project blimulus uh, that's that's an effort that you generally has like 300 volunteers come out and tag horseshoe crabs with like four-year-olds to 85-year-olds at like 11 o'clock at night and um, i don't think i've ever seen a live horseshoe crab in the state of connecticut i think i've only seen dead ones you, you need to come and do that next year um <laughs> so we have generally three like it fills up very fast um so the training is in usually march um and covid willing we'll be able to, to get out there and do some tagging um, May and June when they're coming up on the, on the shoreline. But that project, like thinking of like more projects like this, um, that tagging project has allowed us to, to start to make the impetus for, you know, get the impetus to change how we're managing horseshoe crabs in the state of Connecticut. So we know, okay, they're very much resident to specific areas. So we need to protect certain beaches. Okay, maybe we shouldn't be collecting them for bait when they're coming up to nest um you know so like to try just basic things about trying to maintain the population here um uh, because that's one that is starting to slide into into the vulnerable territory and was just you know listed as, as vulnerable so i'm really like hopeful that you know the you know that being a an animal that we kind of you're like oh i already see the see these dead on the beach hopefully you're seeing molts on the beach uh, because the live animal has molted and grown and oh maybe that's right yeah um, out the you know as you know working with you know animals that shed things um so you know it's you know you you guys work with things that shed scoots right so you know these are you know these are growth hopefully growth things that are happening and we want to make sure that we're support getting people connected to nature i want to see more people get connected to nature and see it start to move upstream um i i got a call from somebody up the Housatonic about you know, they their their twelve year old came screaming out of out of the stream behind her house because she saw this like giant crab with hairy claws, um, which turned out to be a Chinese mitten crab, which was is in is we've uh, identified as an invasive species in the state. 
So just getting people more engaged with reporting these types of things and, and being able to um, have an impact and know that they have that these records have extreme value. Download iNaturalist, download Anic data on your phone and contribute to it. We'll be doing the City Nature Challenge next year. So I don't know if you guys are in Fairfield County or Westchester County, but uh, join our group and help us to beat other aquariums in the state <laughs> when they do it. Um, and it's, it's, it gets, it started as a, a competition, right? So uh, I think it was uh, California Academy of Sciences and um, like the LA Zoo or something. Uh, it was out in California. So sorry for those who started this. I'm not exactly up to date on how it exactly started, but it started as a competition. And I think there's a certain, uh, you know, we all kind of get fired up about something like that. We had 3,000 um, identifications in in a pandemic this year for wow. for the city nature challenge and people got out into nature so I'm really like if anything is as like has given me pause and helped me to think about how people are are reconnecting with the natural world um, the last nine months has done that I think people are getting outside and they're connecting with it. And uh, that's how people become informed about their surroundings. We've been so in front of screens that we just want to get out. Um, but we've really, like the screen, the screen issue happened before that. So we were really in front of screens before that and not going into nature. I think there's a lot of hope because people have, have reconnected in a lot of ways. And um, that breeds interest, that breeds, you know, okay, Maybe this thing, this horse or crab thing, is something really interesting. Let's go down right. that, down that road. Oh, I saw a bog turtle. What's the deal with this bog turtle? Oh, it's highly endangered. We should be protecting this thing. So, you know, getting people outside into their backyard even is just a really important piece, and it's happened, and um, that is something that really excites me um, because people, you know, people getting con connected with this. Um, it's something that I've been really highly connected to since I was seven years old and 30 years later, yeah. uh, still in it. So how yeah. scared and traumatized was that little girl about that crab? Because the name of it alone sounds really scary. Yeah. Like it, I, I'm it, just picturing my daughter going and seeing something like it that. is I want to Google number it. 34 on the worst invasives in the world. Um, it's like up there with like, mosquitoes and a couple of other really nasty things like diseases like um it's done a hundred million dollars worth of damage to the Danube river in a hundred years it's oh my gosh it's a really 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 bad invasive she was apparently quite scared and, and scared enough to they uh, scared enough to call me so wow. uh, that said if you if you do see one of those please call dave dave molar with connecticut dep uh, or or me, and I'll get the information to him and uh, take a picture, put it up on iNaturalist so we can know where <laughs> um, because we have a chance to hopefully get them out before uh, we, you know, as we're trying to like help rivers recover and all these freshwater systems recover um, by bringing dams down, you know, we've got to, we've got to keep the invasives out too. So that's yeah. wild. That's yeah. really cool. I'm looking at pictures of them. They are pretty scary. They are. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's a crab, but it's you know. Well, yeah. like if somebody sees a red-eared slider, they should call someone, right? So. Um, oh, please. Yeah. We get all the calls for the red-eared sliders. We don't... <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> 
Like, what is that reaction? Oh my goodness. Excuse me. He's like the readier slider pickup guy. He just goes all around the state picking up readier sliders. That's what I am. I have a business card that says it. The readier <laughs> slider pickup guy. Well, so our director of animal husbandry worked at a place that that uh, would they they collected all of them at the at the aquarium and just started like a feed station and it was one of their major money makers uh, that helped them feed all the other animals at the aquarium <laughs> um, and it was this like th- there are certain things aquariums get called for it's like ready sliders paku because people are like oh yeah. cool it's like a it's like a piranha but then it gets to be like the size yeah. of your like labrador right yeah, i mean they get really large, and yeah. as an aside they're delicious it's one of the most <laughs> fish i have ever eaten in my life <laughs> I, I can't believe you eat fish i'm so surprised by this right now you should be uh, what what was it um i have a i have a colleague who opened up uh about two weeks ago about how he worked with somebody in alaska who who was a a biologist in was was very skeptical of him until he knew that he ate the animals he worked on. So, you know, he was like, okay, I don't trust a naturalist that doesn't that doesn't eat the, the their study organism. So <laughs> I I definitely eat crabs. We, hopefully you guys don't eat turtles, but um yeah, that's it. I'm not eating turtles, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm I will neither confirm nor deny that I have tried turtle. I felt like it was important, and I feel like maybe I'm going to lose a listener for this, but here's here's the reason why. Oh God! Because I, I'm not a hypocrite, and I'm not, and I'm not a vegan, I'm not a vegetarian, and I love cows and pigs and chickens. I do, but I eat them. I appreciate them. I love them. I love to see them, but you know, I'm not. I don't. I where I draw the line is is endangered animals. So that's what I'm passionate about. Yeah, personally, I, I think there's a there's a cultural understanding there when it comes to trying to get people to stop eating endangered animals in particular. Uh, there's a there's a, a photo that one of the guys that um, it's involved in the Kemp's Ridley program always shows. And he, he shows that this is a picture of there's, it's a picture of a guy on a horseback with a machete and a bandana prior to when we all had to be wearing these things. Um, and he talks about how this was my first year on the beach 45 years ago in Timalapa State, Mexico. I shared the nest with him. I conserved half of the nest. He took half of the nest. Um, and you have to start somewhere. I know it's it's something that is, um, you know, comes from, like, our, again, from our privilege that, you know, we can just kind of helicopter in and be like, you shouldn't do this. But it's, it's um, you know, there are right. people who, who are, when they, when they see their, their starving child, they're going to, to do what they need to do to feed that child. And we need to provide other ways for people to make money. We need to make, find other ways for people to um, feed their children and live dignified lives. And if you can do that, you're getting to the economic root of endangered species. Right. You're absolutely right. Oh my gosh. I just love listening to this. Right? You should yeah. you should tune into podcasts more often. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you ever eaten at Turtle Soup in Narragansett? I don't even know if that's still a restaurant. I think it I 
oddly enough, I think I've only eaten there once. Um, I really love that restaurant. They don't actually and serve turtle soup, though. That's turtle really soup is, was from Terrapins, right? So I mean, it was it was it was um, down back yeah. Terrapin that was served the longest time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, terrapins and snappers were the big ones. Um, Steve just chimed in, which is true. And the 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 soup that I tried was was with a snapper, mm. which hurts my which hurts my heart a lot because I I love snapping turtles. Too, they so are cool. they are the coolest. Um, yeah, so it hurts my heart. And it wasn't even good, but the largest one that Tobias caught in Connecticut had no bottom jaw. Ah, yeah, it was amazing. The, so it was the fattest snapping turtle he'd ever seen, and wow. it was just this giant old monster. And um, you know, it, it no bottom jaw, it's just mm-hmm. still just cu- cooking along. Oh my it's, god, that's so crazy! Are, snapping turtles are amazing, <laughs> they really are, they really are living dinosaurs. It's so cool. So, I want to, I want to rein this in and and polish off this episode. Um, we're pushing an hour and a half now. Um, it's been amazing. Shannon, you said it best. Like I could just listen to you, Dave, for hours and hours. And if you'll, if you ever need someone to do so, just let us know. Cause we'd be happy to. <laughs> I'm happy you guys let me nerd out for an hour and a half. Right? Uh, I, don't get, best? I don't get to do this much. And so knowing that your, your audience is going to go delve deep into this, um, it's, <laughs> it's freeing in a way. Um, yeah. It's the best. So, it's the best. And that's yeah. why we do it. Um, and also just connecting too. We want to celebrate what you do at the Maritime, celebrate who you are, your knowledge, how cool you are, your willingness to work with people like us and talk to people like us um, is is really, really cool and uh, and refreshing and inspiring. So we really appreciate it, everything you do and everyone, you know, the person that you are. I'm so um, mad we weren't best friends in college. I'm just so <laughs> mad. So am I. So am I. And I mean, that was all due respect to Eric (laughs) and John and John and Nick, like they were lovely and I loved hanging out with them, but wow. Right. I was, I was nose to the grind. I was just trying to keep my scholarship and stay out here. (laughs) You could have been helping him count crabs before the party. Oh God. At that point in my life, that was, I didn't have the proper shoes or attire to do something like that, but you were already counting crabs. Okay. Okay. Um, that was uh, so on that note, I, never heard that joke. I know, <laughs> right? I'm so sorry. It's a turtle podcast though. It's, so we don't make crab yeah. jokes often. Um, so Upwell Coffee, check out the website. Uh, <clears throat> buy coffee and support conservation. How great does it get for you coffee drinkers out there? I'm not much of a coffee drinker, but we, we need to buy some Upwell Coffee. We're going to, we're going to be hold. Uh, we're, we are looking to to have uh, hot chocolates in too. So, oh my gosh, I'm right, to other hot drinks. So, I thought you were going to say uh, chocolate milk. I was getting real excited. Okay, I, I uh, don't have any coffee milk since we, again the Ro- the Rhode Island yeah, connection. Uh, right, milk is, I feel like I have to eventually <laughs> dump it. Too, if you make a yeah. coffee milk and hot wiener company, I'm going to oh just my lose my mind. Okay. All your Rhode uh, Island. That's a Rhode Island thing. There are 1 million people exactly that understand what we're talking about. I know. know. That's what's fun about it sometimes because I think they get it. Like, oh, I've been, I don't get that, but I've been a part of an inside joke before. That's fun. Uh, So check out the Maritime Aquarium if you're in the Northeast. Um, It's a really cool 
like I, I would say it's like a hidden gem. I think even in our state here, I do think that Mystic Aquarium gets uh, a little more um, pub. It's a little more well known. I think it's been a big player in that in that world for longer. At least that's my you know being a Connecticut resident. That's my take on it anyway. Um, so check out the Maritime uh, if you're in the area. Visit if not, um, as Dave mentioned, you can check out their free educational um educational uh live streams that you can be a part of yeah especially if you have young kids our kids yeah. have really really appreciated mm-hmm. um those events mm-hmm. uh the turtle room has a calendar out uh that will be coming out for 2021 uh if we make it there make it out of 2020 uh, we're really excited about this one. We've added extra photos. Uh, that was something that Steve was really excited about. So, uh, you know, you expect when you get your calendar to have 12 or maybe 13 nice, big, glossy photos. A lot of times people buy our calendars just for the, the photos. But we've added several more photos uh, through there. So it's kind of like part calendar with a little extra picture book uh, type. There's extra photos is what I'm trying to say. Uh, so you can order that through our website theturtleroom.org um, and check out uh, Turtley Devoted, um, our new podcast, Shannon and I, where we talk about things uh, turtle and relationship related and get off uh, topic all the time. It's a lot of fun and um, we've really been enjoying it. How, how many episodes are we on now, Shannon? I don't know, six maybe? I think we've done six and the next yeah. one would be seven, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's 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 further than I thought. Like the podcast is going to go on forever. We've been doing the podcast for almost eight years. This is episode seventy-one. We do once a month usually. Uh, really excited about that. But this has been our busiest year ever with the podcast. But I I have to be honest. I didn't know we were going to make it six episodes deep and totally devoted. We're still doing it. We're still married. <laughs> still. Still crazy after all these years. Yeah. And uh, if you want to check out Dr. Hudson um, on Instagram, uh, he's a really cool follow because he's got cool stuff going on that you can see. Uh, he gives you a glimpse into some of the awesome projects that they're, that they're doing there that he's involved in. Um, that's DM Hudson PhD uh, on Instagram. All right. So uh, any closing words for us, Dr. Hudson? Um, so get involved, support your local zoo aquarium and stay interested in nature. Um, you know, and you know, keep supporting each other and, you know, we're, we're going to get through all this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks How could you on. not feel like we're going to get through it all? And like there's hope after hearing Dr. Dave Hudson. How cool is that? Right. Thanks, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for tuning in everyone. Uh, we'll see you next time and, uh, yeah, appreciate you. Bye, thank you.